And I sent an email about basically saying, guys, you have to settle down, let these kids play. None of your kids will probably ever make the NHL. Well, you know what? Five years later, there's about five of them. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure those parents have that email. Hey, everybody, what's up? Welcome back to another episode here on You Think, brought to you by Audiorama. And as always, our presenting sponsor, our friends at Invisalign. Tasha had so much fun last week uh, joining us here on You Think that she is joining us again today. So I'd like to welcome, hello, Tasha. It's nice to hello. have you back. She was texting me all week back. saying, I need to be back on. I, the, the, the viewers exactly. and everybody are calling for more of me. So they needed to hear from me more. We from are me. Uh, giving the people <laughs> what they demanded. So welcome <laughs> back to You Think. Greg, last week you said all of your kids played this weekend. Did you get a better record than the weekend before? We had a lot better weekend. I appreciate you asking. Um, unfortunately, my daughter lost her soccer game two to one. Um, I was not there. My wife and I had to do double duty. We had to split and cover multiple games at the same time. So I was at my younger son, TJ's baseball tournament. They had a really good weekend. They ended up playing five games. They went four and one. Unfortunately, the loss was in the championship by one run, but his little team of nine-year-olds is getting so much better. So we will take that as a fail forward. My older son, they went, um, five, what they play six games. They went six and zero, oh, and they won the big tournament they were in. So we had a much better, although exhausting. We had seven baseball games on Sunday, seven in one day. That's crazy. Beyond exhausting. What time did the game start? Eight in the morning. My one son's game started at 8 a.m. The others was at 8.30. I coached TJ's team, so I spent most of the day with his teams um, trying to get back and forth, and I caught a couple innings that my older son Tate pitched for his team, but I only saw like two or three innings of that game, and I had to race back to the team I'm more responsible for that I coached full-time. So it was a weekend of chaos and long hours at the ball fields and stress and all of those things. We woke up this morning. Our house was like a walking dead. Everybody was, <laughs> we're doing a nice little sports <laughs> detox this week. We're going to get out of town and oh, like the kids, the parents, everybody needs like a little recharge and a break. But, uh, at that's the same good. time, it was a blast, you know, which, which is pretty regular for parents having long youth days, I would imagine. Yeah. But not so regular was this weekend. We have a couple of stories we want to share with you, Greg. Um, probably showing the worst of sports with parents, I would say. So this past weekend, I'm not sure if anyone else who's listening has heard of this story, but it was on TMZ. It was all over radio. And it's a video that was circulating that showed parents and kids attacking a referee in Georgia. It was during a weekend basketball tournament. And the tournament was held at a church facility. And the fight broke out during a game. The referee suffered pretty serious injuries. He went to the hospital. He needed 13 stitches. I mean, 30 stitches. And Greg, this is wild. Not sure if you heard about this story. I, I but saw it. I actually saw it come across my my Twitter feed um, at some point the end of last week or over the weekend. And at first, I, I wasn't sure what I was even watching. And then I read an article that kind of like painted the context and, and exactly as you described in, in the video, then watching the video again, after you kind of read the context of, of the article, I guess some of the fans, both players on the team, teenagers, some of the fans, whether they were family members or friends or whoever that were in the bleachers came out of bleachers. So there was like this mob of, 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 of kids, some in uniform, some not in uniform. And they kind of like chase the, 
referee around the gym and and you can see like they're having trouble cornering them and it doesn't get physical until they've pretty much taken them, you know, taken him across the entire gym to the corner. And then they just start punching and kicking him, and he's on the ground. The thing that always amazes me in those settings is how no one ever comes to the rescue of the person being attacked. Like the amount of people just standing around watching these, you know, seven, eight, however many kids there were like physically it beat up this, um, this referee. And it's hard to tell from the video, if it was an older guy or a younger guy, it's hard to tell, but like, nonetheless, nobody came to his defense. You mentioned he got 30 stitches. It's just really hard to even wrap your head around. And listen, I'm as competitive as they get games. I've played in games. I've coached games that I sit at as a parent. Like I understand that everyone is into it and everybody's competitive and everybody wants their kid to do well. And they want, you know, they think every referee calls games against, you know, calls that go against them. And that's, I understand all of that, but to escalate a youth sporting event to the level that we saw in that video, it's just unfathomable to me. And the idea that people can let that cross the line. And in this case, jumped four miles over the line. It's just so it's disappointing. It's upsetting. It's scary to watch. And it's just, it's a constant reminder that everything we do through this youth sports experiment can sometimes get, get ruined in a minute. Has that like parents getting wrapped in, you can't fathom your mind. Like, is there a moment that happened for you where parents got out of hand with, with a ref or just any stories, either yeah, in your mean, playing career at, or coaching. Yeah, I mean, at our at our games, there's always been you know fans you know yelling over a controversial call or you know whether it's in baseball or basketball. I don't really see it at the young girls soccer level quite yet. We're not at, in that world, but I've I've heard some horror stories from some of my buddies who have daughters who play on this on the soccer scene. You know, I've been around it. You know, I, I've seen fights. I don't know if I've ever seen like true physical violence mm. like I saw in that video. I, I think that video thankfully is more of the exception. I don't think that's something that people are accustomed to seeing every weekend playing out on youth sports fields. I, I think that one was 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 a lot scarier and obviously escalated, you know, to a different level. But but yeah, I mean there's been countless times. I mean I think I shared this I think just last week when we were down in Houston for a tournament with my older son's baseball team um back in March, you know, the two teams following the end of that game, I mean there was no punches thrown. There was no physical altercation, but the dugouts cleared, the bleachers cleared. Everybody was on the field yelling at each other. We kind of took our kids. We were playing next. We kind of took them into the outfield to kind of keep them, you know, separated from the stuff. But for a while there, I was standing wow. right there. I was like, these guys are going to fight. You know, wow. they're going to literally fight each other at a 10 year old baseball game. And, you know, that's the part that I just, people just forget at the end of the day, it's okay to care. The coaches pour a lot into it. They want, I, I understand all that firsthand, but there's still little kids around. There's still a way to act. There's a way to interact with an umpire who you feel may or may not have hurt your team or made right. the wrong call. Like there's an, a way, there is a way to communicate and conversate with those people that doesn't need to become a huge spectacle that these kids all need to experience. So in that regard, I, I, it, again, it's just, it's just so disappointing. That's everything youth sports should not be wrapped up in one very disturbing video. Yeah. But, on, but on the other hand, this weekend, there were some good things that happened showcasing the best of sports, like major league baseball seasons begun. We had the masters this week, like this week. And 
Um, basically, we wanted to touch on the joy of the golfers. I'm not sure if anyone else is watching the Masters, but um, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa hold out on 18 for a birdie during the final round at the Masters. And they were just so happy. And if you watch the video, like the crowd's going wild. Rory was happy for Colin. Um, it's basically a moment of pure joy. And that, I'm not sure. Did you watch the Masters at all, Greg? And did you? I, well, I was in the middle of when you're playing seven baseball games between your kids well, on a Sunday, true. there's not a lot that's of uh, sitting on the couch, enjoying the masters. I did see the <laughs> highlights. So I, I'm aware of the, of the clips you're talking about. And I think oftentimes, and, and I'm probably, you know, involved in this as well. Like we get so wrapped up into who won and then everyone who didn't win, you know, in this case, golf right. is in essence, the loser. And I think the, the moment that you're talking about, right? It's the 18th green. You've just battled your way through one of the most iconic golf courses in the world and the most prestigious event in, on the calendar. And after the ups and the downs and the birdies and the pars and the miss putts and the bogeys and the, 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 the mental grind that is the game of golf to see two guys, they didn't win. They weren't going to walk away and get the green jacket but they just had a moment, right? They had an organic moment at the 18th green in front of the stands with the crowd, bringing them on and to see them both chip in and both end their weekend on such a note and just see right at the end of the day, they want to win. These guys are battling, doing everything in their power to be a champion, but there's only one winner. It's the people who can find the joy in the experience that can do this for a long time. Right. The people who, if they don't win, they're miserable. And at times I've been that guy. It's an, it's a very exhausting existence. Right. So I just think it's a great reminder that you can find the silver lining and you can find the moment of joy and the moment of just pure, you know, enjoyment and and excitement. Even if it's not in essence, the overall goal that both those guys came into, which was to win the green jacket. So I, I just think there's a great there's a great lesson there that the adults and the parents can follow that we can then also show our children and, and, and say, Hey, look at these two guys. This is truly loving your game. This is truly enjoying the moment that you have and keeps you coming back for more. And, um, I, th- I just think there's a, you know, as, as bad as the first story we touched on, I love talking about the good stories because that is the joy and the love and what makes sports at any level truly so unique and special and I think that's why we as a community and, and we as a country just continue to be, you know, we, we continue to just be in awe of what, of what these athletes and what these professional players can do because uh, there's just such a raw emotion and such a true passion and love for the game that these guys just play out on a national stage every weekend. Have you had an electric moment like that during a game like play or coaching where maybe you guys didn't win the game, but there was a moment you know, I, I can, I can think off the top of my head of, of a few things that come to mind. You know, I, again, I've shared this story a lot on, 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 you think, you know, winning my senior year, my state championship. Um, my, my father was our coach. We had lost something like seven state championships in a row. My father had never won one at our school. He had won in a previous school that when he was a younger coach and we were known as the team that was always going to make the state finals. And we were just really struggling to get over the hump. And, and I have a picture. I shared it on my Instagram feed a couple weeks ago of my father and I walking off the field. We won our first school's first state championship. It was my senior year, last ever game playing for him walking off the field. We had our arms around each other. And just knowing that like at that point, you know, I was 18 years old or 17, whatever it was. It was my life's dream to just play high school football for my dad 
let alone win a state championship and like put that chapter of my life to bed, not, not knowing at the time that I would ever accomplish anything more in the sport. Like in that moment, that was the pinnacle of my life. And just thinking of going to school the next day and, you know, getting your That's ring awesome. a couple months later, you get your ring first ever team to, to get a state championship ring in this, in, in our school's history. So like, that's a moment that comes. And then, you know, later on in my career, you know, playing and winning in an NFC championship at our home stadium, you know, obviously we fell short and it kind of took the luster away of, you know, our super bowl loss, but, you know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of those moments where, you know, just the pure joy of the moment was just the most important thing in your life. And and thinking back to being a 17 year old kid at that time in your life, that was everything. And it never got, you know, at that, as a 17 year old kid, it never gets any better than that. Today on Youth Inc., we are so proud to be joined by U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer, Keith Kachuk. Keith Kachuk has one of the most impressive resumes. You go down his stats and the things he's accomplished. He's arguably the most accomplished United States-born professional hockey player of all time. And uh, I I think you guys are just going to be fascinated by his insight into the youth experience in the world of hockey and not only raising his children in it, but also coaching in the youth hockey world. Um, I know I was just fascinated by just the inner workings of of that experience. Um, As always, thank you so much. We are presented here on You Think by our friends at Invisalign the number one doctor trusted brand having transformed 12 million smiles for over 25 years. Invisalign continues to give the opportunity for parents to make trusted decisions that can help build and instill confidence in your child. Find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor today. So now please enjoy this conversation with U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer, five-time NHL All-Star, four-time Olympian, and father of three, Keith Kachuk. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Youth Inc. Today's episode is going to be just fascinating. I'm intrigued by our next guest's biography, what he's accomplished, his family, his legacy is is just really incredible. U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer, five-time NHL All-Star, four-time Olympian, former youth hockey coach. He works now, helps selecting the world junior team. I, I mean, just pretty much anything and everything in the world of hockey um, one of the all-time American-born players. Um, we are so thrilled today to have Keith Kachuk. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for joining us, and um, I just can't wait to dive into this. I'm fascinated by the world of of uh, youth and junior hockey. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I want to start back. Uh, you know, with all of our guests, we we kind of ask them to reflect a little bit in the beginning before we dive. You know, kind of move forward a little bit into what you're doing now. You know, just about you know growing up. What does the youth hockey scene look like for Keith Kachuk? I know it's probably very different than it is today, but just take our viewers back to, you know, I I grew up in the Northeast, so I know, you know, about ice time and I know how hard it was for certain families. My father actually played a little hockey, um, you know, growing up in, in New Jersey. So just take us back to like, how did your career, your, you know, love and passion for hockey, you know, where and how did it all start? Well, first of all, I grew up in Boston and uh, obviously growing up as a Boston Bruin fan back then, you know, in the late 70s and the early 80s, it was incredible. They always had great teams. And, you know, you back then you played all sorts of sports. It wasn't just hockey. I mean, you played hockey in the winter, you know, football or whatever, soccer in the, in the fall, but baseball in the spring. But it was great. But 
you know, there wasn't, you know, you played for your town team. It wasn't like you did much traveling. You didn't, you didn't have a lot of ice time. There was one rink in the city. It wasn't a lot of kids playing back then either. I'm, uh, you know, it was an expensive sport, you know, growing up in a, you know, blue collar neighborhood, you know, both parents, you know, I grew up with three siblings it was four of us total. So dad worked, but you know, you, it wasn't, you didn't have the internet, you know, to sign up. You just showed up. I don't know how the word of mouth <laughs> got around. It, it was crazy to, to even think about finding a rink, you know, where to go, how to get there. It was obviously tough, but it's night and day what it is. You know, you had volunteer, basically dads coaching your team. And it wasn't really coaching. You play for two minutes, the buzzer goes off, you go off. So it was interesting. You played probably once a week. Uh, you probably played games once a week. You probably practice once a week. So it was limited ice time. Now you look at it, it's crazy, the amount of rinks that are built. Yeah, as I said, my, my dad grew up playing a little hockey all through high school. Um, he was a big guy, 6'3", 6'4", you know, kind of a defenseman, kind of from the stories that his buddy, his brothers and and everybody tells kind of he was the kind of enforcer. I don't know how many goals he scored, but he would tell stories of at night in his neighborhood. Again, he grew up in North Jersey. Um, one of the dads would go out in the backyard flood the you know flood the grass or flood the driveway and they'd put up some sort of barricades to hold the water in and they would just make their own ice one house he lived in was on kind of a small little pond and they would do the same thing so he grew up playing hockey and he wanted uh, i had an old i have an old i have two brothers so me and my older brother grew up really close to each other only a year apart so as young kids we started playing hockey but to your point about the ice time I still remember my dad taking us at you know five six seven years old to you know junior hockey at at the arena that was probably 45 minutes, an hour away was the only one at the time it eventually closed. It eventually shut down and the ice time became, so we started playing basketball. So our, our hockey time was very limited just in access and in resource and whatnot. So we ended up just playing basketball in our hometown. But so you say it's very different. So you're growing up, you're playing multiple sports, you're playing everything you're playing for your local, you know, local organizations, you know, of hockey and whatnot. So when does it start getting serious? You know, and, and we'll talk about how that's very different from today. But back when you're growing up, like at what point are you saying or your family saying, OK, hockey, you know, we got a shot now at hockey. We, we need to start. Is there an emphasis now in increasing ice time? Was that not a possibility? Are you kind of limited with your access? So like, what does that as you start getting good? How does that evolution kind of start? Well, you know what? It, it, you know, for a few years, you know, you get your feet wet like anybody else. You struggle a little bit and. You know, you play your twice a week, once a week, whatever it is. And then you start getting a little bit better. And as you get, you know, you start off at five and you get about eight or nine, you know, word travels a little bit and people want you to come out for their team. And I was fortunate enough to join another team. So you played on two teams. I mean, you're and it's a more of a renegade team where it's not just the town I grew up in, but it was a, you know, north of Boston kind of area called the North Shore Short, North Shore Raiders. And then you practice a couple times a week and it was more and more and you play against better players. But, you know, it was a big commitment at the time because, you know, dad was working two jobs and, you know, I basically made my way through playing roller hockey. I had a great rink down the street from where I lived. It was a street hockey rink. It was incredible. So I think that was where I really took off. But, you know, as you got older, you started joining teams and, you know, you're still playing other sports, but it was great. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet other kids and, you know, it was time consuming because my parents still had other kids to worry about. They were playing sports and doing different things and, you know, going to school on top of it, juggling a lot of different things. But um, it was fun. I got to play for the North Shore Raiders and things started to take off from there. 
I'm always so fascinated by every sport kind of has its own journey. We we've spoken to, you know, elite, you know, female gymnasts and elite national soccer players and, you know, football and, you know, every sport at the youth age kind of has its own unique characteristics. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've come to learn and, and correct me if I'm wrong about, about the experience of youth hockey, you know, even in today's world is it's very regional, right? There's very, there's a bill, you know, when you grow up in Massachusetts or you grow up in Buffalo, New York, you know, there's certain populations where living in those cities is super advantageous if you want to get into hockey. And I know, you know, now Los Angeles has a, you know, has a real, you know, really successful youth program as does Nashville. So other cities that aren't traditional winter cities are starting to grow, but isn't there a huge benefit to growing up in Boston, growing up in communities that embrace hockey, have arenas, have teams, have the infrastructure around that someone like yourself growing up that has the passion and the talent and the ability. Sometimes if, even if you have all those things, there's kids growing up in certain pockets, you know, certain communities in, in the United States where hockey is just not an option. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, a million years ago, it's Massachusetts, Michigan, and Minnesota. And you might have a few in that New York, New Jersey area, but that those are the three major states that if you grew up there, the most likely you'd play hockey, especially in Minnesota, where they, you know, it's huge hockey there. Um, but, you know, you fast forward it, you know, the, you know, we're looking at now with the game of the NHL game growing in the United States, you know, but like, like I said, Matt, like if I was a kid, 10 years old in Massachusetts, if I found out I was playing a team from Missouri, come on, really? That'd be <laughs> over before it started. You fast forward, you know, 20 something years later, or now, whatever now is, there's no chance. I mean, there are great hockey players everywhere in the United States now compared to, you know, when I grew up. So that's a credit to the game, credit to, you know, National Hockey League former players settling in cities that, you know, the Californias, the Texas, Florida now has a bunch of kids, Missouri, you know, Illinois has a lot of players. So it's it's a lot different than when I grew up, you know, say if you grew up in Texas, you're playing football, you know, I mean, yep. you didn't think about hockey back then. And that's where, you know, we couldn't get the best athletes in hockey because they're playing football, they're playing basketball, they're playing baseball. Now it's changing. We're getting, you know, the best athletes are, are playing, some of the best athletes are playing hockey now in those states where unheard of back when I was growing up playing hockey. Yeah. And what do you, and, and I know you just touched on it, but I'd love if you dive in a little deeper, like what do you accredit that to? Like, what do you credit that? You know, you mentioned California. There's always that, that whole story about how, you know, Wayne Gretzky kind of made, you know, out playing out in Los Angeles. He kind of made hockey in California, super popular. So many former NHL players, as you said, they kind of reside in, you know, the West coast. And a lot of them now have moved to Nashville and now they're kids and they're supporting the youth programs. But you know, what other things is you, is us hockey doing to create such a widespread now access and ability to form good teams? You mentioned if they were from Missouri 30 years ago, they probably, they probably didn't have a team, but now kids are coming out of all parts of the United States. Like, is that a conscious effort? I mean, I'm sure it is, but what are the steps that us hockey is doing at the youth level to, to get this word out, to get this access and, and exposure to, to this great game to pockets of America where otherwise 20, 30 years ago, kids just weren't playing it. Well, first of all, the whole Wayne Gretzky thing is absolutely the reason why we're seeing hockey. You know, I've always fascinated by that story. Yeah. I mean, he, whether he know, knows it or not, he changed the game of hockey in the United States for every kid. I mean, it just people didn't know a lot about it south of the border. 
And that was understandable because there wasn't a lot of teams back way back, but he did change that. Now you're seeing a ton of kids, you know, playing and, and doing different things in hockey, both, you know, the boys and, and the girls divisions. And I think, you know, now looking back at USA hockey, USA hockey is, is really hitting a lot of areas hard. They're, they're introducing the games down in Florida. They're doing coaching clinics. They're having former players, you know, help out um, in USA hockey, former players. They're going to Texas. They're, they're going to different areas, even some of the small, you know, Nashville is getting better. Obviously, Las Vegas with, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights going in there. So you're doing, you're holding events, both for the boys division and the girls division and youth hockey nationals, where they, the best teams all go to play. They're holding tournaments. They're, they're just digging deep into areas where they're growing the game. And that's the most important thing. You want to see the game grow to where it's elite, where everybody's getting an opportunity to play and everybody who loves the game gets a chance, whether you're a, I mean, this is this is senior hockey too. They do this. It's not just, and there are beginners at the age of fifty that go out and try to play. And that's what that's what I love about the game. That's what I love about USA Hockey is doing. They're trying to grow the game to be the best game possible. We have the numbers, obviously, in the United States. We got to get more and more, you know, kids to go out and try all, 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 like, you know, with you know the senior leagues or whatever it is, high school hockey in different areas. A, a story that I always, I always think about that really opened my eyes. I was always familiar when I lived in Chicago, Patrick Kane, you know, there's the story about, you know, you know, he was a big deal coming from Buffalo, New York and talking about living with host families and playing for teams. And, you know, that you always heard those stories and, and I'd love, I'm, I'm going to ask you in a second to, to touch on that experience. Cause I think it's important for our viewers to know a lot of these guys you see playing in the NHL, playing their experience through school age into high school, you know, some of them go to college, some don't like that period of time in, in hockey is very, very different than it is in the other major sports in, in America where there's more of a traditional pipeline. So I'm going to ask you to kind of give, give everybody a little crash course, but a, a funny story that I always remember. So a couple of years ago, I'm coaching one of my, my young, my son's like a machine pitch rec baseball team. So they're probably like six years old. Right. And there's this little kid, you just get kids put on your team. So I I didn't know who the kid was and he was a little kid lefty and he was in the cage and man, he had to be five or six years old and he never missed, but he was kind of like slapping the ball. But if you put the ball in play, you know, you pretty much get on base. So after the first couple of practices, his, his mom comes up to me and she goes, Hey, um, you know, Johnny is not going to be at the game this weekend. He has to go to a hockey tournament. And I was like, oh, great. You know, who does he play for? Thinking she was going to say some team here in Charlotte or some team in North Carolina. She goes, well, he actually plays at a team that's affiliated with the Boston Bruins, like junior hockey program that they have in Boston. Um, And he plays on their 8U team. And mind you, the kid was six. And I'm like, so you guys fly? She goes, almost every other weekend, me or my husband will take him. My other son is at a boarding school in the Northeast. He plays middle school hockey, but he lives at a boarding school. So this younger son, again, he's six years old. He flies back and forth to play. And I said, well, why do you do that? She's like, well, at his level, there's not really any offerings here in Charlotte. That would be to the level we used to live up there. When we moved, we just decided to just commute back and forth for the tournaments. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, here we are at a rec baseball practice. And this kid's six years old. And he's flying almost every other weekend with one of his parents to Boston to play eight U hockey. Like it was mind blowing to me. And I was like, I love it. I said, if you have to miss a game go, because that's awesome. You know what I mean? You must be pretty damn good. If your parents are putting you on a plane at six years old to go to Boston to play <laughs> hockey. 
Well, you, you, you'd you be surprised. There's probably a million other stories just like that. I know. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's, it's a commitment. It's um, people get a little bit crazy with that. And, you know, I, I agree, you know, there's probably not a lot, you know, for in that area just yet for the kid. And he's probably going to play in tournaments and that's what he does. And, yep. but you know what, that happens more than often the kids move away because there's just not that option. Like it would be in certain places. So, you know, it's funny that people do that, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of parents that, you know, you know, find that the best way to get the kids competition. And, you know, it's too bad, but I think as we get going, there's going to be more and more competition in all areas where people don't have to waste that much money traveling. But it is, it's, it's an early six years old. That's 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 a bit early. But getting back, they, were, to, they yeah, loved it. I mean, it, but they didn't even blink. It wasn't like, oh man, they weren't like rolling their eyes. They were pumped. So I was like, yeah. hey, more power to you. If the kid loves it, you know, and it, it, it kind of leads to a different conversation. I'd love to hear you know, kind of your take on this because again, I I just the 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 hockey path is just so different. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many people truly understand it. So, but I'm going to lead to that. We've found from having all these conversations here on you think with coaches and psychologists and, and athletes and parents and former players, anytime, anything that from the outside seems to be very intense, right? So here we are talking about a six-year-old kid leaving Charlotte to go play hockey, but it was always kid driven. You know, I remember talking to the kid and asking him and he, he was so excited to go. This wasn't mom and dad dragging him because his older brother did it this was a young kid who from for whatever reason from an early age developed a really strong passion for the game of hockey and wanted to take these necessary steps to continue to pursue it at a competitive level and I just think it brings up a really important point so in hockey you have kids moving into guest home you know moving to live with host families in other parts of the country to play more competitive ball you know some of these kids are foregoing college and they're going to some junior leagues and, and whether it's in Canada or wherever it is if it doesn't, if the kid or the athlete is not super committed and super passionate about that, I can't imagine this path would work, right? It can't be parent led. It can't be coach driven. Touch, touch a little bit about that idea of a, of an athlete, whether they're six or they're 16, really leading the charge with support, with adult support around them versus the flip side and how that relates to this really sometimes difficult journey of reaching the high level in the sport of, of hockey. Well, I'm still laughing at that six-year-old at an early age. <laughs> he knew what he wanted. <laughs> I don't know I, what I was doing at six. I, I know. I, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a commitment, you know. Um, you know, the junior leagues, you know, we have in the United States. There are kids leaving at 15 years old going to play, and that's a big commitment. My kids did that, and we had a solid program in, in St. Louis with uh, teams we've had, and, but they had an opportunity to play on the – you know, the 17-year-old team and the 18-year-old team at the U.S. National Development Team Program, which was huge. And, and as they got better and got older, they felt this was their goal to get to this level. And that meant they had to go, you know, move to Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time, and live with a billet. But fortunately, I was retired, and a buddy of mine from Chicago, who the boys played against all the time, was uh, could work at home. So we bought a place together, or rented a place together where we both – would take turns building the kids, but there are people from, you know, Arizona or California that have to move to, you know, a U.S. junior league at a young age and go billet with people. And, you know, first of all, it's a big commitment from the, from the billet families who have to, 
take care of these kids and you're, and you're, you're the family that has to trust these people that now are taking over, you know, and helping guide your kid through both on and off the ice, which is, it's, it's, that's a lot to ask for, you know, and, but, you know, I would have never done it if I didn't think my kids were going to work at it. That was the thing. If I felt, you know, I, you never want to get in somebody, get in the way of their dreams. You want to see if they can sink or swim, you know, and, and that's part about parenting, I guess. But, but if I felt they weren't committed, I would have never spent the money taking them to power skating, you know, stick handling skill sessions on top of, you know, practices and stuff. But I, I was confident in, in, in my kids that they wanted to be players and they wanted to work at it. And if they didn't become players, I don't care, but I knew they wanted to work at it. But getting back to the junior leagues, I mean, this is a big commitment. There's a ton of junior leagues. There's a ton of kids leaving, going far away at, at a critical age. And you better go to the right organization who will take care of these kids and put them in, you know, guide them in the right direction. But it's a big commitment. It is. And I, I, don't, I want to dive into a lot of what you just mentioned with, with your own kids. You mentioned you have two boys, Matthew and Brady, and you have a daughter who plays field hockey, Taryn, at the University of Virginia. And I want to get into your experience. We're going to transition to you as a dad and as a youth coach. First, here. Of, all, first of all, you're a football guy, obviously. How great is Charlottesville? It's amazing. My, so my, my older brother graduated from Virginia. He oh, my played, God. He played quarterback on the football team. Oh, I, I my daughter's only a first year. Does she love it? She loves it. I love it. Yeah, I was. I was. It's a tough place to get to. Yeah, awesome place. But sorry, I had a, no. Had no, a I'm glad you did. Oh yeah, we. I have fond memories. You know, like I said, my my older brother graduated from there, so. You know, we we'd play against each other, both being in the ACC, me and being at Miami, and and being there. So we have a lot of fond memories, and um, I know he loved his time there. And Charlottesville is just a. It's like, it's like a postcard. You know, yeah, like everything it about it, it's like it's stuck back in time. It's a, it's a really unique place. Well, I want to get into all that with with not only your boys, but also with your daughter and and their journey. But just one last thing, and not to over, you know, dive into this too much. But I just again, I'm fascinated. You mentioned these families. You called them billet families. I guess that's the official term. I I always refer to them as host families. But nonetheless, like, how do you go about it? So you were in a unique situation. You mentioned you and your buddy who were retired and kind of brought your boys together and kind of shared, but okay. So say it's me say I'm living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got a, a 15 year old kid who's been playing hockey at, you know, the best we could do. And it's time now to like, it's time to go play. We need to move to Michigan or he needs to go. H- how do I even go about that? I didn't play in the NHL. I don't have, you know, a ton of NHL connections. What am I doing? I'm, uh, is there a service? Is there people who advise these families on how to do it? Like, how do I entrust my 15 year old kid with a family in a different part of the country? If I know nothing about this world? Yeah. Well, that's great. It'd be a great question. The organization that your kid's going to um, say the U S program, they have uh, you know, a system where they interview people, you know, go through that whole screening process for families that want to do this. And then usually you know, they go through a serious process to do that. And then when your kid, obviously your son or your daughter goes to these organizations and they make the team, you know, your son will, uh, you know, get introduced to somebody. You'll fly up there and get to meet them. And, and then you go from there. And if the kid's comfortable, he's comfortable. And that's how it usually works. But, you know, things happen quickly. So but I think every organization does, you know, obviously the necessary screening to make sure. And you're you're usually too, too, uh kids to a billet or a host family and they usually have kids so it's pretty hectic but 
You know, I haven't had having any problems. Sometimes kids, you know, it does, doesn't work out, but that's a big commitment uh, from their standpoint and also you for entrusting them. And you get to know them. You get to, you know, you see what the kids like, what they don't like. And it usually works on the end. And, but, and you're mostly there just to eat and sleep anyways. You're at the rank or at school most of the time. Yeah. And, and then I'm sure, yeah, I was going to ask, and then I'm sure there's some sort of school association or most kids going to some sort of private school where they have hockey programs or is the hockey completely separate from the school? Sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's separate, you know, but they'll, 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 it's, it won't be a private school. It'll be like a public school and they'll all go, or sometimes they'll have a, a facility in the rink where they'll do online schooling, Interesting. you know, with, somebody overseeing it. So, you know, cause there's sometimes the kids are traveling on buses, you know, they leave Thursday to play games, Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Then they're getting back late Monday morning cause they're traveling all the way back. So, but some do go to school. Cause I, I think it's important to go to school because you want to interact with other kids. You don't want to be just with the 20 players on your team. I think that gets a little bit stale. You want to meet others that whole, you know, being in person with people and, you know, associating I think it's a lot more healthy than being with your own team all the time. Yeah, I, I just I just find it so it, it's just such a fascinating lifestyle. It's such a fascinating track. And we're gonna get to it a little bit. I, I want to get a little personal now with, with your family. You know, we we touched on in the beginning all of your accomplishments. I mean, you're regarded as one of the all-time, you know, you know, United States born hockey players, if not international players of all time, your resume and what you've accomplished on the both, you know, in the NHL, but also internationally on the on the US Olympic teams and whatnot. You have three children. You touched on your two boys, Matthew. I believe he was the sixth overall pick in the draft to the Flames. Is that correct? And then Brady was the fourth overall pick. So I mean, you don't just have two boys that are in the NHL. You had two boys that were like, you know, six in the fourth overall pick. So obviously, they're incredibly talented. And I want to get into their story. And then we touched a little bit on your daughter Taryn, who you just said is a first year at the University of Virginia. So let, let me start with the boys. So. Take us through. So you kind of gave us an overview of what the system looks like, but now specifically for your two boys, they're growing up with you. Obviously the access, obviously, you know, you're starting to coach them. So just specifically with your family, what, what does that process look like? Are you coaching them in the backyard? Are you coaching their actual teams? How are like, what, what is that process as, as they're starting to learn this game as young kids, when dad, is this, you know, super famous NHL hockey player? Like what, what is that dynamic like early on? Well, early on, you know, you're, you're, you know, they're putting their Jersey on coming to games, mom's bringing them and, you know, they would come and watch. And obviously as they got older, you know, like anything else, you got your driveway, the kids are playing hockey or playing basketball or playing sports. But once they started getting involved, you know, I was on, I was playing. So I was always on the road. But when I had a chance, I would always take them down to the rink, uh, you know, when they were in school. But mom had to take them to a lot of hockey. We had a lot of help with my parents and my in-laws at the time. So, you know, they just gradually started playing hockey. And as I was still playing, I wasn't the head coach, but I'd be a coach whenever I could get out there and practice. They started playing like, you know, learn to play and all that stuff. And it just grew from there. They loved the game. They loved watching, you know, me play for the Blues and as time went on, I try to, you know, kind of do the same thing, play with them in the garage or on the driveway, whatever, shooting pucks. And and then they just started playing hockey, youth hockey, started traveling. And once I retired, I got involved full-time with both boys and just coached their AAA Blues team all growing up and, you know, different events. Was never really a head coach, was always more of an assistant coach because 
you know, it can be difficult coaching your own kid at a certain age. As you get older, you know, you got to be careful because you want to make sure, you know, it's, it's almost really hard for them because you're almost harder on them than the other kids because you don't want them to think, you know, you're playing favorites and stuff, which is probably difficult, but you live and learn. But, uh, you know, we just, just started growing and working with them, traveling with them and having fun with them. And then when I retired, it was awesome. I got to spend, you know, 24 hours a day with all of my kids. Yeah, and and you you mentioned earlier, you know, you said you know taking them to power skating and taking them to stick handling, puck handling, like. And again, I'm I'm not familiar with the with the youth hockey experience. My kids don't play it, so you know, right now with our kids playing baseball, you know, you take them to batting lessons and you take them to their team. You know, their travel team has practice during the week, and then there might be a pitching guy. And in basketball, like there's all of these, you know, especially here in North Carolina, and I'm sure it's like this everywhere. There is a skill coach for every sport and every skill. You want to play quarterback, you can go do passing academies. You want to go play running. There's something for everyone. So when you mentioned that with your kids, were your kids doing that? Like, did you feel like you could do it yourself? Like, who are you taking your kids to, to teach them how to skate and shoot pucks? Like, can't you just do it? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, it's something I struggle with as a kid. My, My kids haven't played tackle football yet. So in the other sports, I know enough, but I don't know like the real. So I take them to people who know more than me. But like if it was football, like my dad was my high school coach. Both my brothers were college quarterbacks. Like if I'm going to teach my kid how to play quarterback, their grandpa and their uncles are probably going to teach him. Like, I don't know if I need to take them to somebody else. So like you have dad, you know, teaching you how to stick handle and teaching how to shoot bucks. Like what are you doing with your kids to try to build their skills as they started getting to an older age? Well, the game has changed um, when I was a kid to what it is now. So there's a lot of stuff. Like, I remember at the end of my career, Greg, we started doing more skill stuff, like, once a week. To be honest with you, I had a tough time doing it. So I'm thinking, I can't teach my kids skill stuff, you know. So like anybody else at home, when you have multiple kids, you never have dinner at the same time. There's always something going on in your house. So there's – It's so true. we were like going in different directions, my wife and I, but we, I felt they needed somebody to learn how to, the technique of skating. I just, I don't know. You just go out and I can't teach that. I'm not saying I was a strong skater or a bad skater. I just, I don't know what these people know now, the technology they have. And yeah. that's, and, yeah. and the skills too. We, I grew up in a different era. We didn't do a lot of that. We did normal, basic stuff. Now I couldn't, as much as I played in the league, I can't teach a kid how to do a toe drag or a certain move. First of all, I can't do it like some of these kids can do now. It's crazy. Yeah. But you know, but we spent a lot of time. I mean, every night, my wife and I would laugh. We'd have dinner at five some nights, four. Like we were yeah, right after school. It's like you were it's like the early bird special. Yeah, and I had to be in first in line to pick up the my my boys so I can get them home, get up my seat, off their power skating, you know, or their own practice and you know, come home, drop off one, then take the other one because he's two years younger. Then my daughter would have stuff growing up. It's just, it's nuts, but that's what, you, you know, you had to do when the kids wanted to do. I wouldn't have done it if they didn't want to do it. I didn't say you're doing this or doing that. Yeah. I thought it was important for them, you know, to engage and to want to do it. And they did. And But we were willing to do it if they wanted to do it. But it was crazy, the schedule. And thank God I lived in a place like Missouri. I lived about 20 minutes outside the city. Like I can get in my car and, and go to practice at six thirty. I can leave at five forty five. Yeah. Could you imagine living in you know Chicago or or Boston or no. New York to drive your kid? We could you could never do that. That'd be difficult. But we were lucky living in a, a smaller town 
but but no, we spent a lot of money on, on you know driving our kids everywhere and but it was well worth it. I loved it. No matter what they did after it was well worth it. It was great memories. It, it's so true. My wife and I joke that like we oftentimes, multiple times a week, we do pick up, uh, we have three kids, two boys and a girl, just like you. And, um, we do separate carpools. So the kids will get up, you know, cause one son will have baseball. The other son will have a baseball, but at a different place. And then my daughter will have a soccer practice. So we're scattered around. So I'll pull up in carpool line and they'll get in. I'll be like, no, mommy's going to pick you up today. You know, you two go with mom. And like, we always joke the teachers and like the parents at carpool must be like, I think the Olsons are like, I think they're split up. They, they never pick the kids up together and certain kids get in certain cars during the weeks. So like we joke about it, but there's never a day where after school, we just bring the kids home, do homework and like sit around and play, you know, play yeah, you, gotta, you gotta stay busy. I mean, that's the uh, best part. It was a lot of work and, you know, but we wouldn't have changed a thing. I mean, you want to keep your kids busy. I don't care what it is, I mean, yeah. whether you're outside shooting hoops, anything, you want to stay busy. And the kid, that's what my kids wanted to do. And we're lucky. Yep. You, you, it was something I want to dive into a little bit. Cause it's something that I struggle with. Um, again, I grew up, my dad was my high school football coach. He did it for 40 years in North Jersey, um, coached all my brothers and I very successful public school outside of New York city but you mentioned it playing for your dad and co- or on the inverse coaching your kid is very challenging, you know? So I'm now retired outside of, you know, doing stuff like this. So I spend a lot of times coaching my kids teams, mostly my two boys teams in baseball and basketball and flag football. And we're pretty much involved, whether we're the head coach or just like helping out on the side, we're pretty involved coaching our kids. And you said it, you know, you find yourself being overly hard to like overcompensate my biggest fear is I never want a parent to sit up there and say that, you know, I look at him coming down on my kid, but he never does it to his. Like, I'm always going to make sure my kid is the first example of how we're going to coach the, all the kids. And you're never going to, you can accuse me of being a lot of things, but no one will ever accuse me of being easier on my kid than your kid. So you, you touched on that. Like, so how do you handle that balance? Like, where do you find that fine line between wanting to be involved? You obviously offer a ton to the team and to the other boys, but like, where does that dad slash coach hat? Like, how do you decide which one you're going to wear when we're, it doesn't become negative, but you know, by you being involved, a it's great. It's great for you and your kids to spend time together. And B if they want to be good at hockey, it's in their best interest that dad's involved. Like, how do because that's something that I I personally struggle with a lot. I'd be curious what what your approach and your experience now with your kids being older, like maybe some things you did right, maybe some things you look back and you did that you would love to redo. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Well, it's funny you say that because you know I don't know how it happens in your house, but there was there was some minor arguments with the with my wife yeah. she felt like sometimes i was too hard on them and i tried to explain to her you know what she was probably right she was right i mean you know when the heat of the moment you know you probably do some things you wish you would regret but but i always try to tell her you know i need to be hard on them because i know how it is i don't want perception to think all right they're going to be you know families are going to be all oh, look at his kids doing this and doing that he can be fine but you know so there is a fine line and you live and learn as you get older there are some things you'd like to take back but you know you try to keep that you know you want them to do the right thing you know because it's important in life to do the right thing so i just you know it's it's hard it's there's no real right answer because it's an emotional game that any sport and um you know you just want to see them succeed you know as as 
you know, to move on as good teammates and good people and hard workers. And that's what I kind of told my kids growing up. You know, if you, you, you compete and you be a good teammate, those are the only two things that matter to me and to matter to our family. But yeah, there were some times where, you know, I should have been a lot easier and, and a lot mellow with my own kids, but that was more of showing the other parents and the other kids yeah. that I wasn't one of your favorites. And that, you know, I that's my should have just, you know, but there was a lot of great times too. And, and, you know, not only coaching your kid, but helping out as they got older, other kids loving the game and telling you they love the game. And, and they kept on playing because they had so much fun. And next thing you know, it doesn't matter to me that they're playing the national hockey league. I got to coach a girl that ended up playing at uh, Ohio state in high in college for women's hockey kids who got to play junior kids who got to play college kids who have gone on to play pro in the NHL, the AHL or over in Europe. So, you know, to me, you know, and, and, and then some of my friends, some of my son's friends who just went on to become, you know, college kids and join the workforce, they're great kids. And that's what means more to me than anything. Absolutely. I, I always say if, and we've said it a few times on some of our other, our, some of our other episodes, like if the idea behind youth sports was to just make professionals, then we should all stop because yeah. it's not worth the time and investment, right? That if that's the ultimate goal of the family, if that's the ultimate goal of a coach or an organization is just to create professionals and anyone who doesn't reach that level is deemed to, to be a failure. Like, it's just so mind blowing to me. Like to me, Greg, I, I sent an email out that I hope nobody has. I sent an email <laughs> one time because I, I just heard crazy talk from hearsay from parents yeah. and I lost my mind. I said, but I didn't, when I sent an email out, I don't actually send it out. I try to tell my wife what to say and she's kind of the buffer right. to make it sound she's better. Soft, she softens it she's, a little bit. Yes. Cause I can't do that. And right. I admit that. So she, cause she will never let me put anything. She said, we're going to do it this way. And I sent an email about basically saying, guys, you have to settle down, let these kids play. None of your kids will probably ever make the NHL. Well, you know what? Five years later, there's about five of them. That also. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure those parents have that email. I hope not. Oh, that's so, well, maybe they're going to listen to this and they're going to find that email and they're going to send it to us. That's hope, I'm just kidding. Um, something else that, that I, that I'm really interested in your perspective on. And, and, you know, we've both talked about, you know, obviously you spend a lot of time coaching your boys and, and, you know, I find myself gravitating towards coaching the boys because it's sports that I'm familiar with. I go and support my daughter. I'm more of a parent. I don't know a lot about soccer. I don't know a lot about volleyball. So I'm there just as a dad, I'm there to support her. I kind of listen to what her coaches tell her. And then we try to bring some of that home, but there's not a lot of like original coaching on my end. I, I, I just, it's not my strength. So I'd be curious. So you're growing up, you got, your kids are growing up. You have two boys and a girl. How did you balance? Yes. Hockey was your love, your boys love spending time at the rinks. It's time consuming, but you also have a daughter who's pursuing her loves. And even though if it's not traditional ice hockey, you know, she's now a, a college division one, you know, field hockey player. Like how did you balance that? Cause I find myself, I, I have to say, all right, you know what, no matter what time the boys games are, whether I'm coaching or not Saturday morning, I'm going to my daughter's soccer game. Like I can't let that slip through because I'm not technically the coach. It's just as important that I'm there. I, I'd be curious to how you handled it considering how involved you were with both your boys, you know, playing hockey. She's that she was actually my favorite athlete of the kids to watch. <laughs> it was fun. No but, doubt. The girls are the yeah, best. And they're just a different breed, you know, the and best. she's like, boy, she's, you know, she loves 
but she started field hockey late. I had no idea what that sport was. Um, so it's still, I'm still learning it, but she played soccer, basketball. So it's like, it's like any family, you know, when all three were living at home, it's like, all right, we're going to figure this out. You do this, you do that. So I, and there was no way I was not watching her play. I have yeah. to, I want to watch her play. And I think it's important, but you know, we had a lot of fun and you know, girls, you got to treat a little bit differently because yeah. Can't talk to them like I talk to the boys, as my wife would say. <laughs> Remember, she's a girl. She's not playing professional. So, but no, I enjoyed it. Especially, you know, she started playing field hockey in seventh grade. And my wife oh, was, wow. once you, you come down to Florida with me for a tournament, it's her first ever tournament. I went down there. I was like, okay, this is fun. I mean, yeah. I don't like sitting in 105 degree weather down in Florida in the middle of the summer. Put me in know. a rink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But, uh, you know, like, like you said, you know, you coach your kid, you don't know much about a certain sport, you, but I picked up on some of the things and I built her a little space down in our basement when the kids, when the both boys moved away, her own little turf field and her and I would go down there and, you know, shoot, shoot the ball, practice stick handling. And, and you can only shoot one way in field hockey. Yeah. It was bizarre. And she was a lefty, but you can only shoot righty. And I'm like, man, this is, this is tough. I tried. I was like, whoa, we got some issues here. Yeah. You can only but, use one side of the stick, right? Yeah, One side, you have to flip it upside down to do a backhand. I don't know. There's so many rules. Yeah, it's, there's so many whistles. There's so many whistles and stops and go. I know. But it's, no, a, it was, it's huge here, though, in Charlotte. Lacrosse and field hockey yeah. for girls is huge. Yeah, it's great. I think it's a great sport. I love it. And I, you know, I enjoy watching it. I really do. Yeah. It's only on turf field. I can't watch it on yeah. grass. It's tough, right? And And I've come to understand at the kids' school, um, one of the parents donated like the money to build like a turf field. And my, and when I was like, Oh, well, can we do other stuff? They're like, no, this is just for field hockey. And I was like, what are you talking about? To like, this turf is specific for field <laughs> hockey. You wouldn't play any other sport on this. And I was like, what? Like I thought hockey, so apparently they're very yeah. serious about their turf and field hockey. They're very I serious. It. I love that. Um, something else before we transition to the last kind of segment again, thank you so much for being here. With us on you think I, I'm this is such an interesting conversation to me learning about a sport that I, I'm the first to admit I'm, I'm a little obviously uh, novice in. I, I always enjoy when other people coach my kids as long as I'm confident that what they're coaching my kids is right. If, if you if I'm confident that another coach is going to coach I'd love to just be a dad. I'd love to sit and let you tell my kid what to do. You need me to help out at practice. Great. You need me to help run a drill. Great. But like. Yeah, when it's time to coach my kid, coach him, whether I'm standing there or not, as long as you know what you're doing, right? Like that's always my, that's always kind of my trump card is like yell at him, hold him accountable, attitude. If he's a bad teammate, you jump his ass no different than how I would. I'm all for that. The reason my kid hasn't played tackle football yet is I was always very hesitant that the first time he played tackle football, when I was still playing, I wasn't around. It's a little bit of a different sport. If you get instructed early, you could have a really bad experience. You can get injured. You can kind of be scarred. And I didn't want my kids first tackle football experience. So my question to you is when you drop your kid off at a hockey practice, you're helping out or whatnot. Like if I'm, if I'm your kid's hockey coach, like, and I'm coaching your kid on maybe a little bit of a different stick handling or a little bit of a different play. Like, how are you watching your other kids get coached? Are you listening closely to make sure what they're telling them is right? And when they come home, like, are you supporting that? What is your parent coach relationship when you are not the coach of your kids? 
Well, that's, I love that. That's great because that's what I wanted. Like, and that's what we got in St. Louis. We had former players that helped out, but especially this one kid who I had coaching my, both my boys eventually, he was a Canadian kid, young kid out of university. I went to St. Louis university, had a hockey background. I'm telling you right now, as professional as it gets, treated the kids all great, concerned about different areas, not just hockey school and all this other areas got I had a great relationship with the kids super guy and he knew the game too and he was exceptional I mean he taught the kids you know skating strides stick handling all this little stuff that I personally couldn't do I'm more of an X's and O kind of guy and that's why we worked out so well and knowing that I had to travel for different things with each of the kids that I wasn't going to be around I was so comfortable knowing that my kids were in great hands and, and that's why that's why it's important to get some of these kids that are not a hockey parent to go coach. It, it just, it just, it's, it's a great environment. If you get the right person, because there's only so many times a, 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 a parent should coach his kid. At some point you got to let it go. It's good. It's healthier for the kids. It's, it's probably what the kid wants. I mean, you could still be there helping around, but if you're not the focus guy, I think it's huge. And I was lucky to have this kid. My parent, my kids were lucky to have this kid. We never had that when I was a kid. We always had pretty much local dads coaching. We just didn't have that, you know, that those that areas to help out. So it was, it was nice to have that. It, it meant a lot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I love the the guys who, the, the one of the moms and, one of the, and a different dad, they're not married. One kid's mom and one kid's dad on my girls, on my daughter's soccer team, coach the team and they do a great job. Um, my, my older son's baseball team is not a dad. Um, he's just a coach for the organization that he plays in. And then the one, some of the assistants are dads who, who do a great job and have baseball backgrounds and do a great job. So like, and then with my other son's team and their flag football teams, like me and my dad kind of coach it. We're a little more hands-on. So each sport is a little bit, each season's like a little bit of a difference, but I love the seasons where I can go help out at practice, work on skill development, work on drills but I'm not setting the lineup. I'm not getting emails from the parents. I'm not booking the travel. Like there's something nice about, yeah, just let me know what time practice is. I'll be there. And you need somebody to work with the middle infielders. You need somebody to hit fly balls. You need somebody to work on flag pulling. I'm your guy. I'll do it for six hours a day. I love spending time with the kids. I don't want to deal with the crap. I don't yeah. want to deal with the complaints. I don't want to deal with playing time and emails and scheduling and conflict. Like that's the part of it that takes the fun out of it for me. And sometimes you have great groups of families that are really into it and they make it fun. And other times you get a lot of complaints and you get a lot of stuff. And to me, it takes the fun out of it. So there is a really nice balance. You said not every season feeling like the entire season is on your shoulders to do everything. Yeah. It's, it's, People, parents kind of get in the way of things. Just let it happen. Let 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 somebody coach your kid. First of all, most of these guys and girls are volunteers. Yeah, they probably get paid nothing. They're doing taking time out of their own family schedule to help your son yeah. or daughter play. Just go with it. Now, if there are issues that you need to talk about, you know that's when you. But if you're talking about well, my kid wasn't in for the third down and flag football to. You know, he was on the, like, just like, stop. So true. Stop. I, I'm, with I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, it's, I, it's, it's, it's so true. 
I get it. Trust me. I, I, I see it at all the different ages and every sport kind of has their own unique kind of flavor and unique culture. Uh, something else that I'd love to hear talk about. My, like I said, my dad was my high school coach and he never stopped being my coach. Right. I mean, he coached us from the time we were kids all the way through high school, but whether I was at Miami after a game, he was my dad, but he always had his coaching points. I would be, I was a, you know, 14 years in the NFL and after a game be like, dad, what'd you think? You know, thought you were a little short on that last third down in the fourth quarter. What were you, you know, what happened on that ball that was incomplete? You know, did you miss your block on the backside of that run on the, and I'm like, shit, dad, like, how about a good game? But you know, like he never could turn off his coaching brain. So I guess my, and I loved it. I mean, it, it was great. It's why I was as good as I ended up having the career I did. So in your mind, like, are your kids calling you after you watch them play in a game that mind you, they're top tier players in the NHL. Like, are they calling you to be like, dad, what'd you think? And you're just saying, Hey buddy, I'm proud of you. Or are you like, Hey, on that third shift, you got, you know, are you giving them, are you giving them coach yeah, pointers you know, and you know, dad? You never take the coaching out. You can't. My wife always says you have to. Yeah. My wife, like I think all wives, they, they, they word it better than probably we would. Yeah. So she always tries to help me. You can always start off with a positive and then, you know, you know, not like it's bad and just say, you know, work on this a little bit. So yeah. we have these conversations and, and I, and if, if I get over the line, which sometimes happens, unfortunately, it's just, you know, but my wife will say to me, well, I've seen you play a lot more worse games than those <laughs> it's boys. So true. So, yeah, it's, it's so true. Like, you know, between my leg and walk away, but no, I, we, we have good conversations. Like, like my son plays on the East coast and we're in central. So he'll call me after a game. Yeah. And you know, when he doesn't call, I get it. I know it. He's not happy. Last thing he wants to do is listen to me, try to help him out. And then my other son lives in Calgary. So by the time his game's over, I'm usually asleep. I try to, I watch every game. If not, I watch it the next day, but these guys have like different coaches. Like my son, Matthew has a skills coach on the side that was a former player that helps him watching his shifts and stuff, not only his own team, but his, this is an outside independent guy. So these guys know what they're doing. They, they, but they just want to, you know, talk about the game. And we, I talk to my boys every day just to yeah. see how things are going, how practice is going. And if they, like my son called me the other day, he wanted to talk about leadership. He's a captain of the auto senders. They're struggling right now. And he wanted to know what he could do to help his team. I mean, he's 22 years old, just turned 22 in September. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff they want to talk about. And if I can help them out, I will, because I love the game and I love when I see them have success. Calling you for things like that probably make you more proud than if you call and yeah. said, Hey dad, I'm struggling with my stick. I'm struggling with my shooting. The fact that he called you to talk about leadership and continuing to help his team out of a tough situation, that, that that's probably the call that every parent dreams of, right? Like I'd much rather have my kid call me than that. Then, yeah, I mean, it'd be fine. I'll help you fix your throw. I'll help you fix your struggling, catching the ball. All right. Yeah, sure. But I mean, what for a young kid to have the the trust and the relationship with his dad that you were the one he called? That's a pretty, that's a pretty yeah. telling sign about your guy's relationship. Yeah, it makes me feel great. I mean, that's like I said, he's twenty two years old, and it's a lot on his shoulders. And yeah, you know, you want to tell him just to hey, this is these are the points. You know, don't focus too much on it. Just go out and be the leader on the ice and do the right things. And I guarantee you, you do that they'll follow and everything will be good, but you just got to ride the way, but it's great having those conversations. It is. I'm, I was laughing when you said your wife said, Hey, I've seen you play a lot worse. We yeah. interviewed Cooper. We interviewed Cooper Manning the other day. And uh, he told the story he was playing high school quarterback. Um, the kid got hurt. It might've been his brother. It might've been Peyton got hurt and he was playing quarterback. And 
he threw like four or five interceptions. He goes, I was a wide receiver. I didn't play quarterback. And I came home and I'm sitting there and my dad, we're kind of quiet and I'm embarrassed. And he goes, his, he said his dad. So here's Archie Manning, right? A hall of fame quarterback. He goes, well, I threw six. So you still don't have the family record. <laughs> like, he's like, it was such like a nice dose of reality awesome. that sometimes it's nice for us parents, you know, come home. My kid would be like, dad, do you ever have a bad game? I was like, no. how much time do you have? <laughs> you know, and you tell him a story like, yeah, I had a game one time where they threw me two balls. I caught them both and I fumbled them both. And the other team got them and we lost the game. So you just gave up a couple hits in the second inning of a 10 year old baseball game. You're going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like we're going to be fine. So I, I, I was laughing when you said your wife was kind of, don't the kids feel a little bit pressure. Of course. I know your, your boys aren't playing tackle football, but I think everybody expects that's what the one thing I had a hard time with when my kids were like four and six, like, and when your kids are like, you're playing football, like people expect like, that's, I look back, I'm like, I feel bad for the kids. Like they, they probably had God only knows what other players and other teams have said to them over the course of games, like, yep. you know, making fun of them and stuff. And that's, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's might've been a tough ride for them. Yeah. I, I try to, t- I try to communicate that with all three of our kids and, and just tell them, say, Hey, listen, I don't care what other people think, you know, especially I, I played, I mean, you know, the feeling I played here in Charlotte for a decade. This is where, you know, all my career was. This is where everyone knows this bad. Now our kids are going to school here playing sports. So when we show up to these ball fields or these basketball gyms, everybody there, you know, sees me, knows my kids out there. It's got his name on the back of his Jersey and there's no question And then I feel like I internalize a lot of that stress. So like, I'm a little bit of like a nervous parent watching, like I like, you know, I try to, I'm like a pacer. I walk up and down. Like, I don't, I can't just like sit there and twiddle my sums. Like I live and die with every at bat swing, not only of my own kids, but like any of the kids I'm coaching, I just like really internalize all of their struggles as being like my fault, you know? But like I, it also does get amplified a little bit because you know every single person in that gym or on that field is saying that's Olson's kid, and the expectation is, oh, why well, he should hit the ball every time, or he should throw a no hitter, or he should never miss a shot. And then when they do, it's like you know, you know, everyone's watching, and it's not nothing goes untalked about or not. So like, I'm aware of it, but I try to communicate it with the kids and just saying, listen, you don't owe anybody anything. You you are not doing this for us. You are not doing this for me and mom you're making your own path in whatever that is. It doesn't have to be football. It doesn't have to be sports. Find your path. There's going to be haters. There's going to be people who want to knock you down. You can't let those people win. And, you know, we're having those conversations with them now as we kind of go out into town and start playing more competitive sports. But to your point, that's a real issue. And and I feel for the kids, just like you said, I, I feel for my kids, you know, when we go out to a field and there's, you know, there's a big magnifying glass on them. That's for sure. Yeah, 100%. I, as they get older, it gets worse. So, yeah. you know, these kids are stronger than you think, though. They'll, totally. They'll, they'll get through it. Well, I got three things before we go, and I'm going to let you get out of here. You've been so generous with your time and your perspective and, and just sharing some stories about your your family and your perspective on just the, the hockey, you know, the youth hockey generation and, and the expansion of it. So what is something that you see now, you know, whether it's, whether it's in hockey or, you know, field hockey with your daughter, or just the sports environment and the culture now that you wish was around maybe when you think back to your days growing up in Boston, you know, what's something that kids have access to maybe, or a certain culture that's existed that you say, man, that would have been pretty cool to be, to have access to when I was a kid. Well, well that's a great question. Um, 
I, I, I wish we had more ability to see, like to watch more highlights. Like, I know it's a small thing for me. It's more about the access than watching more about, you know, not just the Boston Bruins as a kid when I was growing up. I wanted to see the Montreal Canadiens. I wanted to see access to highlights. Like you turn on the TV now, you see every sport on every news channel and the access. And that's where a lot of kids pick it up. I know my kids in the morning were watch hockey highlights every day. And they love that. I don't know. I, I know it's a small thing, but we didn't have that back in the late seventies when I was growing up. It was yeah. Just, and know, I'm sure that's, and I'm sure that's helping grow the game. Yeah. I mean, that's, it was huge. No question. I think this is, we ask every guest this and, and I feel like it probably is the most important piece of advice or the most important question we ask our viewers. So I'm going to put you on the spot, like having gone through it yourself and had a long career, you know, coming up through the, the youth ranks and the, and, you know, spent a brief time at, at BU and then went on to play professionally for a long time, then coaching it, raising your three kids in it. And now they're all off at least in college with your youngest and your, and your two boys are at the professional level. So you've kind of seen it come full circle. And now you're out the other side. When you think back, what would be a piece of advice that you would give families like mine who are just starting this race? Their kids are young. They're in elementary school. They think they want to play sports, but you know, that's a long path. That's a long journey. There's a lot that goes into it. Like what can we as parents do to make this youth sports experience better and more positive for these kids after all the years of you now going through it, both individually and as a parent and as a coach? You know what? We never forced anything on our kids. And my advice is to, you know, I don't know, sit down and watch a game, a sport with a kid or, or your son or daughter. And I don't know, go see the local professional women's soccer team if they have one. Just go out and spend time and take a game, see if the kids are interested. And if they are, let them play different things. I know it's tough now with one sport. is usually hockey is like a ninth, 10-month, year-round kind of thing. But I think it's important for all these kids, if they want to play sports, try different things. Go out and play golf or do play tennis or do whatever you want, but don't don't force it on a child, you know, but be active with them and, and introduce them to different things. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. I think that's such great advice. And again, I, I can't thank you enough, Keith, for, for your time here. Our, our conversation here at You Think, we're trying to, to you know, kind of spread this spotlight and, and share both the positives and the negatives, the struggles that a lot of families are having, youth coaches are having, organizations. You know, there's so many different aspects and, and, and avenues that, that you take to kind of navigate this world of youth sports, especially in today's world. And to have people with your resume and with your accomplishments and your perspective, not only as a player, but as a father and a coach and, and all things in between to continue again, to just add a really important voice to this conversation that we're having here at you think as we continue to move forward. So I appreciate you sharing all this insight about, about, you know, hockey in the United States and the process, your perspective as a father, um, father of boys, father of a daughter, like there's just so many interesting things. So again, Olympian NHL, all-star hall of famer, one of the all-time great, NHL professional hockey players, Keith Kachuk. Keith, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. That was an awesome conversation. And uh, I think our viewers are going to, are going to really be fascinated learning a lot about hockey that maybe some of them didn't know prior to this. Well, I appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for having me. And parents, let the kids be kids. Let them enjoy it. Life is too short. I love it. It's a great way to end. Thank you so much, Keith. Well, I just really enjoyed that conversation with U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer Keith Kachuk. I just thought 
his perspective on balancing being a parent, balancing being a coach at the youth level, sharing the experience and the journey that is very different. I mean, to hear him talk about his children moving away and having to go find other you know, places to play youth sports because it wasn't supported in their hometown is, is very foreign to me. So I, I just think it was a very fascinating insight into the life of an aspiring youth hockey player and what that means growing up in that community here in America and uh, the challenges and, and, and the pathways that these kids have to seek. And as always, we, we, we just continue to encourage you guys. We, we, we love getting your direct messages. We love seeing your notes on, on Instagram and Twitter. We, we want to hear from, from you. We want to hear what things you guys are loving, what things you guys want to see us continue to explore maybe in more depth. Um, we, every week we just get really, really interesting thoughts and really, really interesting comments and feedback from our viewers, from our listeners. And that's what makes this journey here on you think so special. And I think that's, what's connected to so much of our audience is this is not only a personal journey for me and I'm answering and asking a lot of questions that pertain to me and my parenting and, and, and raising my children along with my wife, but also very similar questions that a lot of you out there have. And I think to take this journey together and be able to kind of do it alongside each other is what makes this such an interesting program and such an interesting uh, project for us to work on. So as always, well, actually for the first time, I think now and in, in, at the end of the show, we are going to be joined. Everyone wants more Tasha. So apparently me being here <laughs> by myself is just no longer enough, Tasha. So welcome back now. Welcome to the C block. I mean, I feel like at the end of the at, in a couple more weeks, this is just going to be, you think, you know, hosted by Greg Olson and, and Tasha Babers. I mean, I, that's kind of where I feel like it's know, going. I'm just here to represent the people and all the questions that they're submitting. <laughs> okay. And we've actually got a lot of questions. If you guys want to keep submitting questions to Greg or to youth Inc, just follow on Instagram, Twitter at youth Inc. And we got a couple of fun ones today, Greg, for you. Um, the first one is how does a parent of a star athlete handle other kids or adults being jealous of their child's success? You know, I, I think it's a, a great question. An element towards, especially youth sports that are team oriented. There's always the, the dynamic and the social interconnections between not only the players on the team, but the players on the team and their parents, right? Bad parents and bad coaching can ruin the experience for the kids. Number one in a perfect world, if all parents on a team can support everyone else's kids equally to their own, that would be ideal, right? I, I love nothing more than being a part of a team where when one kid gets a hit, 10 parents are cheering. When one kid makes a basket, 10 parents are cheering, scores a goal, whatever it is. It's a collective team encouragement. It's a collective family kind of support system not only, you know, I'm not just there to watch my kids succeed. I'm there to watch my kid and all of their teammates succeed. But in the event that there is jealousies or in the event that there is families who only are there for their own child and are not really interested in the success or the support of the other kids on, on their son or daughter's team, all I would say is have that conversation with your child. The earlier you can have that conversation with your child that no matter if it's in this moment now or in 10 years, there's always going to be people that want to pull you down. And typically the people that want to pull you down are pulling you down because they think that's the only way they can prop themselves up. What we try to teach our kids is other people's success does not get in the way of your success. You can continue to elevate and you can continue to stand out or have success or win the starting position or whatever the case may be. 
but it does not have to come at the demise of somebody else. This is not like an inverse you know, ratio here. We all can raise our levels and find success. The better this team is, the more accolades, the more accomplishments, the more success we will have both individually and collectively. So I just think, especially parents that are, that are raising kids in team sports, team, don't ever lose sight that yes, the development of your child, the success of your child, the lessons for your child, of course, are always going to be you know at the forefront because that's your child. But don't lose the element of what makes team sports so special, especially at the youth level. And that is the idea of team teaching your children to support one another, support the other teammates. And even if that kid is better than yours, like finding love for the other kids will do nothing else but just support and just teach your kids the lesson that they need so that they can support themselves and always be in a position to support every other kid around them. That's good. So good. Thank you. Our our second question is, who was your best coach growing up and why? You know, I talk a lot about on this show, just the impact that my dad had on us, you know, me and my two brothers. And what's really funny about it was growing up, he wasn't our football coach. You know, he was our, you know, assistant basketball coach or, you know, would help with our baseball team or just coach us in the backyard. So he was always our coach, but it was never really football because during the fall season, he was coaching his high school team. So he wasn't, you know, my mom was taking us to all of our practices. She was getting us ready. I mean, my mom was the one who really made the football experience work for us as a young age. Cause my dad wasn't around during that, during that season. And then when we got to high school, it flipped. We were coached by really only him as high school football players. But then in the winter and the, and you know, in the spring, he really had nothing to do with the other sports. I mean, he was in the crowd. He was cheering us on, supporting us, but he was not an assistant basketball coach. He was not helping baseball or helping in track and field. Like he only coached high school football. So it was kind of an interesting dynamic for us growing up when he was never around in football. And then we flipped and he was our only voice. So I think it was a really nice balance. We didn't really get that full on dad is your coach until we were a little bit older, which I think was nice. And, you know, by the time we were in ninth, 10th grade, I think we were a little older, a little more mature that we could handle having our father and the guy we lived with at home going to and from school and practice also be our coach. And it it was as good a time as I have ever had. I, I think back on those years with nothing but with joy and fondness. And it was hard. It was challenging. He demanded a lot of us. He was hard on us. He was honest with us. And those are all lessons that, that I've carried with me, not only through my whole career as, a, as an athlete, but just now as a parent and now, you know, trying to teach my kids what it takes. All right, you say you want to play sports. You say you want to, you know, achieve certain things. Well, guess what? It's hard, man. And it's, it's a grind and it's tough and it takes a tough mindset. It takes mental strength. And those were all lessons that he taught us at a young age. And uh, I think at the time it seemed hard and it seemed like he would always hold us to a standard that we didn't think was reasonable But when I look back on it, he was always holding us to a standard that he knew was possible, even if in the moment we didn't think so. That's so cool that your dad's your best coach. It was really cool. It was a great experience. He still thinks he's my coach. (laughs) He still coaches you coaching? He's coaching my coaching now. (laughs) That's great. Well, because he was a coach. He can coach your coaching. It's in your blood. He can't can't help himself. It's just... He stands outside the dugout and just tells me every decision he would have made after I made it. He can't help himself. <laughs> oh, that's great. Would you say he was your favorite coach 
when you were younger? Or do you say that now looking back? Or was it hard? Like, did you like having your dad as a coach when you were in it or looking back, you were. I, 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 I did. I, and I, and again, it, it was hard and he was demanding on us, but that it never really bothered me. You know, I, I knew when I got into high school, I knew that I had some like bigger dreams and some bigger things that I knew I wanted to accomplish and that I would have the opportunity to accomplish specifically in football, not so much in the other sports, but and I knew if I, if there was one person who could help navigate that and who could help support me and give me that infrastructure and, and, and level of not only support and encouragement, but also that, that brutal honesty and that, you know, kind of that reality check that I think all kids need at certain moments, it was him. So, you know, I, I think when, you know, when we were younger, again, it was different because he was more of an assistant in like our other sports and then not so much in the football. Cause he was, you know, obviously preoccupied with his team. But by the time we were old enough and more mature, both my, you know, my other two brothers, we all wanted to go play college football. We all, and we were in the, it was the perfect scenario. We had the access to the coaching. We had the insight. We had the support. We had the challenging nature of it. Like we had all the things that prepared us to go take that journey. And, uh, I think in high school in the moment, we loved every second of it. And I, I probably look back on it with even more appreciation now, just because 17 and 18 year old kids typically don't have a great sense of reality in the moment of just how special certain opportunities are, but there's not a day that goes by. I'm not thankful for it and don't look back on it as just, you know, one of the best times of my life. That's that's so good. Our last question is kind of a funny one. Does Greg Olson ever get tired being compared to Michael C. Hall from Dexter? You know, the people t- want to know. Oh my God. My social media, like my Twitter, like, you know, like you, you have like your, your mentions, like with your handle in it. And like that one column on the Twitter app, like after I'm done calling a game, like, you know, broadcasting a game or whatever, it's like meme, GIF, <laughs> pictures, side by sides. You've never seen these two guys in the same room. I'm like, we get it. Like we get it. I guess I kind of resemble the guy. I actually think it's kind of funny and amusing. But eventually it's like, all right, we need to find a new kind of a new kind of joke. You're getting tired of it. I I would say the answer, the easy answer is yes. But I, but I also can recognize a good joke and a good, you know, something that's funny. And yes, when people do some of the side by sides, I do find it sort of amusing. (laughs) That's great. That's so good. Well, that's all the questions we have, but if anyone else has any other questions, you know, feel free, you know, tweet. Greg, your, you know, Michael Hall pictures, maybe not, maybe he's going to Yeah, I mean, send him in. It's all for good fun. (laughs) It's good stuff. Well, as, uh, as Tasha said, again, we, we just love hearing from you guys. So again, thank you so much for listening to you think brought to you by audio Rama and our proud partners with Invisalign. Uh, please rate review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for following along on this journey here on you think.